It's an emotional day, isn't it? Where were you in December 15th at 3 p.m. at 2005? Do you remember? What about 1998 at 6 o'clock in the afternoon? Do you remember? What about this one? September 11, 2011, at 8.45 in the morning. Do you remember where you were? There are certain moments in time where you cannot, you dare not forget where you were. The moment is seared on your mind. It is an unforgettable instant. None of us can forget where we were on September 11, 2001, Tuesday morning, 8.45. It was the moment that this nation, as far as my generation was concerned, experienced our greatest, and so far as our generation has lived, we've never seen such a devastating loss. Thousands of lives lost. I was directly across the, um, the water, and I remember we heard an incredible boom from the building. And our first thought was, ooh, someone's going to get fired for that one because we thought that some engineer made a mistake and, and so we had, we didn't even dream that it was anything other than some sort of mechanical failure, some boiler that blew up, some electrical deal. And then we saw the second plane a few minutes later, 20 minutes later or so, just run right into the next plane. We were, I remember us being in complete and utter disbelief. You don't, this doesn't happen here in America. I also remember watching the first tower fall and an odd thing happened without thinking, without a reflex of mine that I've thought for 10 years about, just went up to grab the tower almost. I couldn't believe that the first tower had fallen. And then I do what I usually do when I'm overwhelmed. You learn a lot about me just from this moment. I went back to work. I went back to work and just tried to... I couldn't even believe it. I couldn't even process what had... I couldn't think of, okay, there's got to be, what, 20,000 people in that building? You know, it's about just 15 minutes before it starts, so you've got to imagine... And then... I was in someone else's uh, apartment because that's where I, I did. And I remember looking at it, telling her, she didn't even know, telling her, and then she turning on a thing, and then watching the second building fall on the, and she had a perfect view because that's where the apartments were. They had perfect views of, of the downtown area. Watching it fall and then hearing it and turning and then watching it fall live. But I'm not the only one who has a story about where I was September 11th. You do too. 
whether you were in some site in Brooklyn and a friend ran in and said, we're under attack, or you were in some place where you just saw billowing smoke and you said, gee, I hope the firemen get there on time, or whether you did not know what happened until everything, whether you were in downtown and thought when the first tower fell and you saw that, that, that tsunami of smoke and debris, we all remember where we were. It's something that we share as citizens of the United States. And in a, in a very emotional way, it's something that we share in the entire world. I mean, all this week, they are giving tributes and memorials. Every country, every... It's very moving. But you remember where you were. Tragedies have a way of tattooing themselves to our minds. If you've lost a friend, you know the pain of that moment. If you lost a loved one, I don't think that anybody in America doesn't at least know one person who didn't lose a friend or a relative. It's just, in this church, David Martinez, who for the first time in 10 years is actually going back to the, uh, the Trade Center site uh, to memorialize his brother who, uh, who died. All of us remember where we were. Life, unfortunately and tragically and sorrowfully, is just full of moments of tragedy. September 11th wasn't the only September 11th that happened in your life. Isn't that true? Some of us remember that day, that hour, that year, that moment when we lost a child. Just a few minutes before I came up here, a dear brother in the Lord a person who served in this ministry got saved here. I helped to disciple him. Just found out that he has stage four cancer. Stage four. Few minutes. Life is filled with tragic moments and terrible instances where we say, What? on earth is going on. Some of us. We don't have to think too far in the past. Some of us don't have to go beyond this month to think of the tragedy. The letter that we receive from our spouse. The doctor. The doctor's words saying, have a seat. You're going to need to sit for this one. The child who's run away 
and destroying themselves. Life is full of tragedies. And whether it's a national tragedy where thousands of lives are lost. And of course, when we say September 11th, we don't just mean uh, the tragedy that happened at the tower. We think of uh, Flight 93 that decided that honor and that sacrifice was better than allowing this particular plane to reach a White House, which is what they believed the destination was. Our, our poor comrades and brothers and sisters at the Pentagon, we don't dare forget, but this is Brooklyn, isn't it? And this is New York. And it, the, all of it becomes a greater tragedy when we realize, you know, on our front doorstep, with our friends, with our students, with our kids, there are national tragedies. There are personal tragedies. As a church, we've faced corporate tragedies. I remember where I was when I first got the news that the building was burning down. And I remember thinking of the men that were there and that we had a group of, of people from a different church who were serving and were they okay? And it was like my first vacation in a few years. And I was thinking to myself, I am hundreds and hundreds of miles away. I can do nothing. Often when tragedy strikes, we can do nothing. It is outside our control. It's stage four cancer. It's I'm leaving the marriage. It's terrible injustice happening on our soil. It's an electric socket that burns a building and memories and risks the lives of many. We all have tragedies that we go through. The question isn't whether you and I will go through tragedy. The question is, how will we respond to this tragedy? Ten years later, September 11th, I want to give you a perspective, a strategy, a biblical outlook on how to endure great tragedies. Now, listen to me. For some of us, because trauma has a way... You know the nature of trauma, right? The nature of trauma is this. You experience a terrible, terrible experience. Um, you've heard this term, right? Even if you're not a doctor, you've heard this term. Post-traumatic stress disorder. Anybody ever heard of that? Yeah, New York is going through that in a very big way. Every time, uh, uh, I mean, when you see the, the bridges just filled with police officers just watching, you think, September 11th. You hear a great explosion, you think, September 11th. It's just, it's, it's post-traumatic stress disorder. And what it is, is that you experience a trauma a great suffering 
And there are certain things that are seared in your mind. Smells. Moments in time. Points in the day. So a person who was at ground zero or working in one of the towers, here's what happens. It's 2001. It's 8.40 in the morning. A guy with Pierre Cardin uh, perfume walks by. Susie, across the other cubicle, says, hey, what are you having for lunch? And then uh, they're, they're talking about lunch, and they go, oh, gosh, I forgot the laundry. And then they hear the boom. They race out. They experience all the trauma of that day. They decide that they can no longer stay in New York. That person decides that they can no longer stay in New York. So they move to Kansas. And there's no building above four stories for as far as the eye can see. And then somebody walks by with Pierre Cardin perfume. And all of a sudden, it's no longer Thursday, uh, February the 5th. All of a sudden, in their mind and in their emotion, it is September 11th, Tuesday, 8.45. Nobody else understands them. Nobody else... Why are they freaking out? Why are they having such a reaction? Nothing happened. It wasn't like anything, and it was just for you. It was just you associated a smell with the moment. Some of us experience that from childhood. Where you go, don't close that door. And people are just like, what do you mean don't close that door? It's, you're letting the cold, you're letting the air conditioning out. Don't close the expletive door. And, and you wonder, well, why is this? It's a trauma. A trauma. Listen to me. Today, by God's grace, God speaks to our trauma. God's word has something to say about the devastation that comes our way, the difficulties that come our lives, the tragedies that plague our societies. Whether it's Husbands or wives or spouses in general saying, I'm out. Or a doctor saying, sit down. Or a child who's decided to go their own way. Or an airplane that hits a tower. Or even a fire that happens in your place of worship. God prescribes to us a formula, a step or steps for us to heal. But if, if, perhaps you're, if perhaps you need to apply this to more than just a moment like September 11th, I want you to. Because there are more tragedies than one in our lives. Now, I want you to know I'm not original uh, the points that I got here, I got from a guy by the name of Rick Warren. I, and I suspect you don't care where I get my information. You just want the good stuff. Right? Wouldn't, wouldn't you agree? And so I just got to do that for integrity's sake. But I want you to know that what I'm going to preach to you didn't come from Rick Warren, although he organized the, you know, in all R's. It's going to be really cool. But it's from God's Word. And so you have in your hand what we call a sermon map. 
Because you're not going to be able to remember the seven points that I give you. And I want you to, I want you to, just write down. If you don't have a pencil or a pen, I believe we have some pencils in the back, do we not? Yes. And so if you don't have a pencil or pen, we'll, we'll hand you one of those half little pencils. You just raise your hand and we'll bring it to you, but nice and high so that they could actually see you. Okay, we have two over here and we have one over here. Now, I want to talk to you about after a tragedy happens, what are the steps that we can take to rebuild our lives? So whether you lose a loved one, whether your health is deteriorating, whether, whatever it is, I'm going to give you seven steps to rebuilding your lives. We're going to go right into it. Let's, let's look at what God would have to say to us. The first thing that we're going to learn today, the first thing we're going to learn is this. Release your grief. Would you write that word down, grief? Release your grief. Write that down. When you and I go through trauma, tragedy, difficulty, great strain of heart, when you and I experience a terrible circumstance, when you and I go through it, listen to me. One of the things that we're going to have to do is we're going to release our grief. Not in the way that psychologists and popular... We're not going to punch bags and we're not going to beat up pillows and we're not going to uh, uh, catch a fit or break a plate. We're not going to do it in a destructive, unhealthy way. But one of the things we're going to do is we're going to release our grief to God. Now, I want you to look at Psalm 18, 4 through 6. In the New Living Translation, it says this. The floods of destruction swept over me. You ever felt like that? You ever felt like destruction and terror were like a flood? I felt like that. The floods of destruction swept over me. The grave wrapped its ropes around me. Death itself stared me in the face. But in my distress, here it is. Say this word, these words that are underlined with me. I cried out to the Lord and I prayed to my God for help. When you and I go through trauma and hardship and heartache and great suffering, when we experience pain that's greater than we can bear, or pain, quite frankly, that we think we can bear. Our number one knee-jerk reaction, unfortunately, is to run from the very one who could make sense of it all. We hear nonsense from people saying things like, where's your God now? We might even say that, tempt, be tempted to say that ourselves. I want you to know that when tragedy happens, when people say, where's your God? While you're suffering, where's your God? I want you to remind them that your God, was in, your God is in the same place He was when good times are happening. Your God took suffering on Himself, on the cross, 
It's why we can pray, Yea, though I go through the valley of the shadow of death, would you rather get hit by a truck or a shadow of a truck? We can face tragedy's shadow because Jesus faced tragedy. For real. I want you to release your grief. God, I don't understand. We just spent two weeks on this. God, I don't get Get the kid off the bed. Go from stage four to like stage zero. Go from great... God, change the circus. But I, God, you, you make sense of this. I can't. Release your grief. God, I don't understand. I don't get what's going on. I can't fit this into my brain. Release your grief. Psalm 62.8 says it this way. I want us to read this next lesson, this next sentence together. Would you read it with me? One, two, three. Pour out your heart to Him, for God is our refuge. God is our safe haven. God is our protection. God, listen, the circumstances, don't, you don't have to be but five years old to recognize that your circumstances aren't stable. God is our refuge, our strength. So the first thing I want you to do is I don't want you to hold this in. I don't want you to talk religious talk. I don't want you to be caught up with platitudes that don't matter. I want you to release your grief unto the Lord. I don't want you to fall into the pitfall of saying, I'm not talking to God, I'm mad at Him. He's the only one who could make sense of it all. I remember I was in a a car with a woman who was just blew me away with her insight. We were going to her mother's deathbed. She was going to die and I was going to pray with the family. I don't know about you, but my life is filled with stuff like that. It's funny, people say, you know, Pastor, you don't live in the real world, you know. know, Just so you know, I experience more of the real world in a week than most people, you know. Like, it's just tragic, some of the things that you experience. And we were going to this woman's deathbed. She will die. And they're not even asking for her to get better. They're just saying, give us grace. And so we're traveling. And she said this. She said, you know, I was just crying out to God. I was just pouring my heart out to Jesus. And I said, Jesus, would you just give her a little bit more time? Would you just, this is not right. And he goes, and she heard Jesus speak back to her heart. Okay, when? What a profound insight. Okay, when? Should you die before her? Because she's going to die. You're going to die. I'm going to die. Sickness will invade our bodies. We are in a very fragile state. Don't get comfortable. You're not home yet. 
blew me away. I was supposed to be there to comfort her. Okay, when? She realized, we all die. We must rest in Christ. We must give it to... Lord, I don't get this. I don't understand this. Sometimes it's a roll-up-your-sleeve prayer, and you just you say, God, cover your ears, because I'm just really mad right now. God can take it. God can take it. First thing I want you to do. What's the first thing I want you to do when tragedy strikes your life? What's the first step to rebuilding your life? What is it? Release your grief. Share it with Jesus. The second is resist bitterness. Resist bitterness. Would you write that down? Bitterness? Hebrews 12, 15. We're going to be doing a lot of scripture reading together. Read this with me. Hebrews 12, 15. One, two, three. Watch out that no bitterness take root among you. It causes deep trouble, hurting many in their spiritual lives. Have you ever met a person who was bitter, who didn't know that they were bitter, but you knew that they were bitter? You know why? Because you can't poison one side of the cup, drink from the other, and not expect to receive negative, harmful effects. Wouldn't you agree? Right? If I brought a plate of food to you, and I said, this is your favorite meal, and you pick your favorite meal, right? Mine's is arroz con gandules with pateles, right? Anybody feel me on that, right? I'm just, what? Eat that for breakfast, lunch, and dinner, midnight snack, doesn't matter. Arroz con gandules with... Now, if I brought to you, and you love the arroz con gandules with pateles as much as I love the arroz con gandules with pateles, and I brought to you that plate of food, and for some of you it's lasagna, right? That's your deal, and, and for others of you it's... It, it's what? It's, I don't know, something else. Um, right? Um, if, you, if I brought that to you, and I said, good news, this is your, fa- this is, this is your favorite meal... It was done by the best chef in this category. This is going to be the very best plate of food you've ever had in your entire life. The Chef Ramsay of this, you know, right? Or, you know, your abuelita or something like that, right? Your grandmother who only cooks your pateles once a year and she makes 400 and now she sells them for $2.50. I know. And so, so I bring that to you and I say it's going to be the best plate and good news only 5% has arsenic in it. Only 5. That's, the only problem is, I don't know which 5%. And I put it before you. Now, let me just say, let me just ask you something. Do you eat that? No, of course you don't. Because you know, as well as I do, that if you poison one aspect of the food, it risks everything and contaminates everything else. Why is it that we don't see this with bitterness? I don't know. Bitterness is arsenic to your soul. You cannot be bitter about your mom and not your husband feel it. You cannot be bitter about your job and not your children feel it. Bitterness is worse than stage 4 cancer because you don't even try to get Bitterness runs deep. Listen to me. 
release. If you're going to take another step to recovery, another step to getting better, another step to rebuilding your life, you're going to have to resist bitterness. It poisons everything. Have you ever said, I have an anger problem? You probably don't. You probably have a bitterness problem. If you lose your temper easily, you probably just don't lose your temper. You probably have a bitterness problem. If you... If you find it hard to forgive, you know, it's just not easy for me to forgive. You just, you don't have a forgiveness problem. You have a bitterness problem. Listen. Your spouse, they deserve a spouse that they don't have to walk around on eggshells. Your kids, they deserve... Listen. If you don't know if you're bitter, just do me a favor. Ask your spouse. Ask your kids. Ask your Listen, if, if everybody in the room, if you've ever said something like this, well, you know how I get, so why do you do this? Okay, listen, listen, your problem is not your spouse. Your problem is not your friend. Your problem is not your, your problem is that you're bitter. You've got to release bitterness. And you go, I don't know how. Listen to me. Listen to me. I want you to write this down. I'm going to give you two steps. I'm really giving you a series in a, in a sermon, so forgive it. You're going to have to work through this. But here's the first thing. Right under resist bitterness. Here's two ways for you to resist bitterness. First one is, write this word down, accept. Accept what cannot be changed. Accept what cannot be changed. Listen to me. NBT. Accept what cannot be changed. There are circumstances in life. Listen, I cannot get 13 years old again. Just accept what cannot be changed. I cannot get my dad back in my teenage life again. And just accept what cannot be changed. I cannot change the day that I walked into that room with that adult. When I was like 11 years old. I can't change that. I can't change how I was raised. I can't change what my brother or sister did to me. I can't change the lousy lot I got in life. If I had a lousy lot. Except, I can't, listen, I can't change the physical, you know, uh, right? Guys, you know this, right? And this is just stupid, but it's a good illustration. Like, like if, you, if your grandfather was bald, right, and your dad was bald, just get used to wearing hats, right? Why? Because there's just certain things you can't change, right? And just listen to me. Listen. Listen, listen. Look at me. Resist bitterness by accepting what you cannot, what cannot be changed. And here, I want you to really 
This one I want you to tattoo on your eyelids. Focus on what's left, not what's lost. Focus on what's left, not what's lost. Would you write that down? If you're going to resist bitterness, the first thing that you're going to have to do is you're going to have to focus not on the pain and the tragedy. Now, we heal from that. I'm not saying ignore it. I'm not saying act like it doesn't exist. I'm not saying be in denial. I'm saying just don't live there. I'm saying live not on what was lost, Listen to me. Listen to me. There have been times where I've had to, and you know, by the way, you know you're healing from your bitterness when you can thank God for the moment that you were bitter about before. And you go, I could never thank God for that moment. Listen to me. Just what I just told you when I was 11 years old. Now, was that evil? Of course that was evil. That was wrong in the highest degree. Hell burns hotter for people like that. Like, it just is awful. That should never happen to anybody. Listen to me. I'm not happy about it. But I've been able to empathize with people on a level. I've been able to connect with people on a level that I never would have been able to. I've been able to counsel people and love people on a level. Not for my benefit. Surely I don't get a lot out of that. Because, listen, We get an opportunity to resist bitterness. We accept what we cannot change and we focus on what's what? Left, not lost. What's the first thing? What's the first step in rebuilding your life? What does the Bible teach us, gang? What is it? The first step is? And the second step is? And how do we do that? And third, write this down, reevaluate your life. When we go through a great tragedy, it's a wonderful opportunity to reevaluate your life. I'm going to read this quickly to you. Real life is not measured by how much we own. Luke 12, 15. Doesn't tragedy have a way of sort of recalibrating your thinking? Right? All of a sudden, your, your life's in jeopardy, and all of a sudden, the, the, uh, the fact that the shoes didn't fit doesn't matter much anymore. The fact that the, the car is going to... Going through a tragedy has a way of refocusing you on the real thing. You want to stop an argument? And, I mean, well, don't actually practice this, but you... I mean, if you're having an argument with your wife or your husband in a car or your best friend or your friend, and you're having an, and then you get into an accident, it has a way of killing the argument, wouldn't you say? Like all of a sudden, that, you know, that, the fact that they didn't put the cap on the toothpaste or they didn't understand you for that moment or whatever it was, all of a sudden it's just not as severe because tragedy has a way of refocusing us. That's the gift of tragedy. It's the gift of suffering. When you and I suffer, we get an awesome opportunity 
to reevaluate our lives. First Timothy 6, 7 says it like this. We brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. Listen, life is bigger than your stuff. Life is even bigger than your hopes and your dreams. Life is bigger than you. As we grow as a church, many of us are going to be tempted to just really dive into the rat race. We're healthier than we've ever been. We're, you know, and so we'll get distracted by lovers and jobs and careers. Listen, don't get caught up in the rat race. There's more to life than just your stuff. And the fact is, even if you win in the rat race, you're still just a rat, right? Like you don't win much, right? That's the big victory there, right? So listen, listen to me. Listen to me. Don't get stuck up on your stuff. Don't get stuck up on what you have. The computer is not that big a deal. I, I, you, know, you know what reminds me of this? Every so often there's a, a particular... Uh, 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 not funeral, um, graveside, uh, uh, graveyard. There's a particular gravesite uh, that I go to to do, perform. And right in a particular part of the road in this uh, um, cemetery, thank you, um, in this cemetery is a, a, like a, a monument, right? And <laughs> the thing that's so hysterical about it is that in the monument, it's uh, cemented over... Mercedes-Benz. I wonder if anybody has ever seen it. It's, yeah, yeah, it's, right, yeah, absolutely. It's a cemented over Mercedes-Benz. Here's the problem. If that Mercedes was in mint condition right now, you could buy it for three grand. It's like in the 70s, right? Like, you don't, you know, I mean, that person was a fool if they lived their life for their stuff. Like, this is the monument to them. Today's incredible stuff that you sacrifice so much over is tomorrow's junk. And listen, listen. And it has no eternal consequence. Like whether you watch that show or not, whether you get that TV or not, whether you get that raise or not, and I'm not saying don't buy a nice TV. Buy a nice TV, go ahead. I'm not saying don't go for the... For the, um, the, uh, the the bonus at work, or, or I'm not saying don't, you know, don't want more and want better for your family. I'm not, don't hear me say that. But I'm saying if that absolutely controls your life, if your, if your significance is found in your stuff, then I pray a tragedy on you. So that you might be recalibrated. And reevaluate your life. We've seen three steps in rebuilding our lives after a tragedy. The first one is, the second one is, and we're going to do that by, and, and thirdly, we're going to, and fourthly, we're going to listen to me. Listen to me. Write this down. Big letters. Big letters. Receive help 
from others. Would you just not go hermit on me? Would you stop this immature stupidity of going through a dark time and deciding that I'm not going to... Why on earth... Why on earth people decide to stop coming to church after a tragedy? It's beyond me. It's like saying, I'm not going to go to the hospital. I'm going to only go to the hospital when I'm really healthy. It's bizarre and stupid. Did, do you understand? I'm not trying, and, and listen, if you've gone through a tragedy, I'm not trying to, I'm just saying, wake up. It's silly. Silly. Do you understand? Silly. To not get help from your brothers and sisters in Christ when you go through a great tragedy. God's Word says it like this in Romans 12:5 in the New Living Translation. It says this, Since we are all one body in Christ, we belong to each other, and each of us needs all the others. You know what that verse says? That verse says that everyone who belongs to Jesus belongs to everyone who belongs to Jesus. We need each other. How silly would it be if I'm struggling with weight and food for me to keep that to myself and not share it with you? How silly would it be for me to lose a child and not come to the body and hear the me too's that come around the body. How silly would it be for me to lose a job and not come to the body and feel the love and the... How silly is that? But you know, we see that all the time. And what I'm saying is not you. Not you. Maybe them. Let them do that. Not us. We're going to be people who receive help from others. We're going to release our grief. We're going to resist bitterness by accepting what we cannot change and focus on what's left and not what's lost. We're going to reevaluate our lives. We're going to receive help from others. Fifthly, we're going to rely on the Lord. Write that in big letters too. We're going to rely on the Lord. And I've been waiting to come here. Listen, we just spent the last two weeks talking about faith and growing in reliance on Jesus. So I don't want to spend too much time, but I do want you, I want you to know that we serve a mighty, powerful God. We serve a God who is present and who is powerful, who is, listen, who understands our grief and is acquainted with our sorrow. We serve a God who felt greater pain on 9-11 than you and I could ever imagine. We serve a God who loves us and wants us to stop running from Him and start relying on Him. You have a glorious opportunity you have a glorious opportunity. Every day of your waking life to run to Jesus and say, Lord, 
I don't know what the future holds, but I know who holds the future. I don't know how this is going to turn out, but I know that I can rest and trust in you. I don't know what's going to happen next, but I know that you do. Listen to me. Rely on the Lord. That means, that means where fear is in your life, when, especially after you receive a trauma, you go, God, this is the truth. I'm just afraid. I don't know when the next shoe is going to drop. I don't know how this is going to turn out. Just, would you help me to trust you every step of the way? Either trust you for a healing or trust you for suffering grace. Either trust you that you will raise this child from the bed of affliction or trust me to deal with the consequences in a way that bring you honor and delight. Either, either bring me the job, bring me the finances, or bring me a way through so that I might be able to. But listen, I'm going to rely on you, Lord. I don't know how the marriage is going to turn out. I don't know how the health is going to turn out. don't know how the kids are going to turn out. don't know how the finances are going to turn out. Don't, I don't know. But I'm going to rely on you. I get concerned when churches rely on their pastors more than they rely on Jesus. I get concerned. In, in many churches, I pray that we don't become that. But in many churches, if Jesus stopped showing up, things would go very smoothly. But if the pastor didn't show, things would just fall apart. Listen to me. Listen to me. We don't rely on pastors. We love pastors. We pray for pastors. We bless pastors. We speak kindly of pastors. We speak kindly to pastors. We do all those things. But we don't rely on them. We don't. They're not worth it. They're not worth it. But Jesus, he's worth it. And he can be trusted. Me, I'll fail you for sure. If I haven't already, I will. But Jesus, he can be relied on. He's never late. Always on time. Ever powerful. Constantly with you. Everlastingly good wonderfully present, he can be relied upon. The Bible says in Isaiah 26, 3, it says, You, Lord, give true peace to those who what? Depend on you. Depend on Jesus like you depend on your next paycheck and life will go well. More so. Psalm 62.5 says, I find rest. Everybody say those three words with me. I find rest. Next two words. In God. Yes. I don't find rest in the circumstances. I don't find rest in what's going to happen next. I don't find rest if the check gets in the mail or not. I find rest in God for you. For some of you, you just need to memorize this verse. Only He, only He gives me hope. 
Psalm 3.3 says it this way. You are my shield. That is my protection. You are my shield. My wonderful God who gives me courage. Psalm 16.7 says it this way. I will bless the Lord who counsels me. He gives me wisdom in the night. He tells me what to do. Isaiah 12.2 says it like this. God is my Savior. I will trust Him and not be afraid. The Lord gives me power and strength. Man, are you finding any verses that you could might memorize this week? Job 22.23a The message. Come back to God Almighty. And what will happen, gang? Let's read it. And He'll rebuild your life. Listen. He'll do it. Rely on the Lord. Yeah, but if I rely on God, He might take Him away. Good. Good. Yeah, but if I rely on God, it might not go my way. Good. Have you ever wanted something really bad, got it, and wish you didn't? That's you getting your way. We don't want that. We want to rely on the Lord. Let's go to the sixth step. Refuse to be discouraged. Write that down. Refuse to be discouraged. Do you know discouragement, attitude, it's all a choice? Did you know that? Did you know that your emotions will follow your thoughts? Did you know if, you, if you're a doom and gloom thinker, you'll be a doom and gloom feeler? Did you know that? Could you imagine? Simple as changing a thought. This is why we constantly say from, from this stage or from our, read your Bibles, memorize your scriptures, engage, because you want to fill your mind with God's Word. You have enough of the worldly stuff. We want you to fill your mind with God's Word. Refuse to be discouraged. Luke 21, 19. Jesus says, By standing firm, you will gain life. Listen to me. All is not lost. All is not lost. We still, listen, no matter what you're going through, there's hope. There's hope in Christ. Listen, worst thing, what's the worst three things that could happen to a Christian, right? You get killed, right? And then you, what happens? You, you're with the Lord forever. Or an accident can happen where you can't use, like, all of your body. You're a quadriplegic, which only give you more time to focus and think about heaven and the wonder of your new body that you'll get in heaven. Or you could be knocked unconscious for the next 30 years, in which case, the next time you open your eyes, you will see Jesus. It's like the worst things that can happen. And it's for a Christian... Listen to me. There's hope in everything because we have Christ and He is our hope. He is our everlasting joy. He is our salvation. He is the one we live for. He is the one that we rely on 
and look to for courage. Refuse to be discouraged. And then, I love this one. Lastly, reach out to others. Would you write that down? Reach out to others. I'm going to give you three ways you're going to reach out to others. We're going to do this in rapid fire. Okay, are you ready? Here it comes. By praying. You reach out to others by praying. 1 Samuel 12, 23 says it this way. Far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord by failing to pray for you. Isn't it true that when you go through something, unless you're completely self-centered, you could think of another person who's going through something similar, right? Your marriage is not right. You can think of other people who's marrying, right? You're single. You can think of other single people. Your, your body is failing. You can think of other people. Right? What do you do? Listen, you reach out to others. There is healing. This is, where, this is where the church is at its best. This is where the church is at its best. By praying, by sharing... Write that down. And then I want you to write the next one down. By serving. Let's look at sharing first. By, so it's by praying. How are we going to reach out to others? Anybody know? What else? And? Absolutely. Let's look at sharing. If anyone has material possessions and sees his brother in need but has no pity on him, how can the love of God be in him? Listen to me. It's our duty that when we see our brothers and sisters go through... Listen, uh, I love that Gus found out about the, uh, the brother, and I, I don't feel comfortable telling you his name just simply because I, I wasn't given the permission to. But I want you to pray for our dear brother who has stage 4 cancer. I don't think he's 32. I'm sure he's not. I'm sure he's not. Li- so since I don't have permission to share you, with you his name, I want you to pray. Lord, I pray for that brother who served in our ministry, who's in another state now, and who's, who's dealing with this. But I love, I love, I love that as soon as Gus found out about it, he says, I'm, I'm driving over to the other state. Isn't that good news? So after the service, he's driving over to another state. You know why? Because... We don't do this in a vacuum. Now, do you think that Gus would be maybe the most perfect person for this? Why? Anybody could think of why Gus might be the most perfect person? He just went through his own cancer scare, didn't he? We get to reach out to others in our suffering and in our tragedy. Listen to me. We get to reach out to others in our suffering and in our tragedy to bless others, to bless them. So that when you hear another person's going through a depression and you've gone through depression, you can go, I'll sit with you. Yeah, but I don't want to hear anybody think, that's cool. I'll just sit. And someone is going through their children going wayward and you're with them. Why? How are you doing that? You're praying, you're sharing, and you're serving. Look at Galatians 6.2. By helping each other with your troubles, you obey 
the law of Christ. Remember what we said? Remember what we said a few weeks ago? We said the church is not a hospital. It's an army. And you don't see one of your comrades wounded and leave them there. One of the ways that God has created for you to heal is by being a wounded healer yourself. By being a person who who lives with a limp, who shares out of your pain and out of your suffering the greatness of God. I want us to look at this together. We're going to look at seven steps to rebuilding your life. I want us all to say it in a nice, loud voice. The first step is... Then we're going to... How? Accepting and... Thirdly, we're going to... Then we're going to... Fifthly, we're going to... Sixth, we're going to... Then we're going to... How? And... And... That's how a 9-11 in our lives gets turned for the glory of God. Now listen, listen to me. I want you to know that as a church, there are many tragedies ahead of us. It's just that way. I wish I could tell you that you know, we're all going to be driving Cadillacs. Right? It's just not true. There are going to be tragedies ahead of us. But if we are the gospel, Christ-centered church, we will, in that tragedy, show a world who's deaf to the things of God. We will show them. We will show them how Christians deal with tragedy. There was a guy by the name of Bill Bright. He was uh, diagnosed with an incurable disease. And you know what he did? He wrote a book. He wrote a book, and his objective was he wanted to show the world what a Christian looks like who's dying. Isn't that good? He died. But his book prevails, and many people have been blessed by it. How many people are going to be blessed by your tragedy? Please, please, don't suffer in vain. Don't suffer for nothing. Please. Listen to me. There was one Friday, a Friday that everybody who went to sleep that night agreed was the worst day of their lives. A Friday that their best friend died. And they said there's no hope. And that there's no future. And that there's no healing from this. And Saturday came, and there was a burial service that Friday night, and he, Saturday was in his tomb. Then on Sunday, they went to adorn his body with perfumes and things. And from the great 9-11 of that Friday afternoon came the hope Jesus is alive. And because He's alive, we have hope. Because 
He's alive. We could have hope in the midst of our tragedy. There's no marriage that's so broken. There's no life that's so wounded. There's no tragedy that's so great that hope in Jesus is not greater still. I want you to, in your tragedy, rebuild life. Not on your own, because you can't. But in God's Word, relying on His Spirit. Finally, I want to I tell you this. Over a year ago, we had, as a corporate body, a great tragedy. We had a, our beautiful place where we worship, and most of us found our faith there and just, and just burned. And I'm here to tell you that the ceiling on the basement has been put up. And they put those light sockets. And it's still, listen to me, listen to me, listen to me. And it looks like a construction site on its way to be a holy place for people to meet for the glory of God. You right now might look like a construction site. You right now, I mean, the dust is on the floor, but you just heard these scriptures and you just heard this direction. And I want you to know the ceiling's going to get put up. Your life's going to get put together. There's hope for you in Christ Jesus. And we're going to sing that hope for your marriage, for your kids, for your health. We're going to sing that to Jesus. Let me pray for you. Father, you are a gracious and holy God. One who deserves our praise, our worship, our honor, our surrender. Father, my prayer is that as we listen to this and we experience this 9-11 and for some of us it's not just 9-11 it's a bunch of other stuff too Lord that we would be able to release our grief and resist bitterness and reevaluate our lives receive help from others rely on the Lord refuse to be discouraged and reach out to others Lord would you give us the wisdom to learn how to apply this message? Would you give us the, the discipline to memorize the scriptures that you just made jump out at our hearts? Would you, oh Lord, start healing and start putting the insulation and the, and the sheetrock and, the, and the rebuilding the lives? Would you do that for every person within the sound of my voice? And would you do it for your glory? Because you're glorious. For we pray... In Jesus' name, amen.